0: Welcome to Innovative Legal Leadership, the podcast where you'll hear from the world's most innovative general counsel and their leadership teams for their insights into the running of a Fortune 500 in-house legal department. The challenges, the wins, the roadblocks, the journey to date, and most importantly, what lies ahead. Let's get into the show. Hello, listeners. In today's episode, I'm super pleased to be telling you that we're replaying one of my favourites with Maurus Schreie Vogel. Maurus, at the, at the time, was head of legal innovation at Novartis. As it happens right now, he's recently taken up a position as a partner at Ernst & Young, so that's a new career path for Maurus. Um, and we're very fortunate at Pursuit here because Maurus is currently the chair of the Pursuit Customer Advisory Board. It's a marvellous discussion going through Maris' own personal journey. He talks about you know, his early curiosity around being able to, to to do things better in law, from auditing the legal function to bring about some operational change, focusing on value rather than cost. If you know Maris, you'll have heard him talk about that before, and it's a, uh, it's a super important lens to have value, not cost. Legal's role in the digital transformation journey and transforming into collaborators instead of counsellors. That's Maris's own unique phrase that he's coined, and I love that. It's with great pleasure that I'm replaying this episode. I'm sure you're all going to enjoy it. I know certainly from the feedback that we've had when we first aired it last year, it was um, I received really well. So in the usual fashion, sit back, chillax and enjoy
1: the episode.
0: Hi, Maris, welcome to the show. It's fantastic to have you here.
1: Very happy to be here. Hi, Jim.
0: Now, Maris, um, you're currently the chief legal innovation officer at nevadas you've had a long career at nevadas you've been the chief legal officer since 2017 but i want you to tell the audience a little bit about the Mara Stray vogel story a bit of the life prior to nevadas and then um and then you can launch into your, your your 17 years at nevadas tell us a bit about that story and maybe some inflection points during the course of your career
1: sure happy to do so and i will start very early. When I was 13 years old, my, my parents got a divorce. And what that did to me, amongst many things, is that I wanted to be independent from them because somehow I had the feeling they, they did let me down. Yeah. And believe it or not, I no longer accepted any pocket money. Right. Um I I, of course, still lived at home and I still um, enjoyed many of the benefits that they provided to me. Yep. But for me, it was really important that I was in the eyes of a 13-year-old financially independent. Independent, um, yeah. So.
0: Yep. And perhaps a bit of a sign of a protest too. So.
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yep. So yep. I I started to look for a job and I found a job in the IT department of Roche. Yes. Yeah. I believe by that time I was probably 14 or 15 years old, and I worked there after school in the afternoons and started to, to really be fascinated about what IT can do uh, to a work environment. And, and remember, that was in the late 80s. Yep. What we did in the IT department we equipped people with their first PCs. Yep. Most people didn't use the thing that we put on their desks.
0: Yeah. Was, um, it, was it was it Wang, was it Wang at the time? I do remember. Was was Wang the messaging that was happening at the time? That that green typeface. You remember that?
1: <laughs> we, we we had that, and and uh, Roche at the time went in direction Lotus Notes, which right. was yep. which was the coolest thing at the time but but that's where where i just picked up the the fascination for what technology can do because this 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 job that earned me money gave me a much more important thing it it allowed me to experiment with 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 a new tool that that i i didn't know at all and I, I was hooked um, from yep. the first day yep. on. So yep. the golden times of IT more or less going mainstream has played a really important role because after working in the IT department at Roche, I, I then continued to to teach um, Microsoft Office trainings. And um, it was really simple for me to actually make quite a lot of money yep, and that enabled me to pay for for law school i i moved out um, right after school i moved into a different city uh, and i had a really a really good life i worked a lot uh i didn't spend a lot of time at university i have to say i, I was there for the exams uh which um which luckily I all passed on first attempt yep. but I tried to go through through law school as quickly as possible then I started in a a mid size uh, Zurich law firm and and was bothered relatively quickly by how we worked how we delivered legal services yeah. I I had this this this, just different imagination that in a law firm, you would have tools, you would have access to, to, to knowledge, and you wouldn't, what I felt very much, you wouldn't reinvent the wheel every time yeah. you did something. It bothered me so much that I, I took uh, the difficult decision after only two years to try something else and yep. that for me was a difficult decision because in Switzerland you, you're you're kind of if you go to law school and you're any good you go to a law firm if you're not that good you go in-house so yep. I, I had to to take the decision to leave the A team and and join the B team yep. but i was so unhappy in in my my current environment that i took that step just to learn that it wasn't all that different in the in-house yep. environment
0: in, in other words kind of n- no tools no technology no access to knowledge so you're you find yourself reinventing the wheel time and time again is that the kind of experience that's that's the experience you had and is that also then being reflected when certainly in the early days when you moved in-house
1: it was and i i was bothered by the fact that there is no time to stop and think about how we do what yep. we do we were all yep. so busy looking forward all the time that there's just this important element of self-improvement, of, of improvement overall that yep. that was missing. Yep. So I decided to, to leave Novartis. And in the last minutes, there was this person who held me back. He said, well, wait a minute. Just because you don't like your current role doesn't mean you don't like Novartis. Why don't you... Why don't you try something else? And he had already a very clear idea for me. And yeah. And he sent me to internal audit, which is where I I spent two and a half years. And for me that was a very important step in in my career because I realized All other functions engage in operational excellence. All other functions are very actively working, increasing and improving the functional maturity. Sometimes because there was external pressure, but more often because it was just their professional pride and intrinsic incentive to just be at the top of their game. And this is what I was fascinated about. And also it was kind of a relief because in my early professional career, I always felt like an alien. I, I just couldn't believe that I was the only one.
0: That thought this to think- way. Right. I, I yeah.
1: Exactly. And then huh. in all these other functions, I, I found, you know, that professionals are thinking about the how and not just yep. the what yep. and then one thing led to another, the the head of internal audit asked me if I could take a shot at developing an audit program for the legal function right. which at that point in time had never been audited before right. so I, I sat down and, and and wrote an audit program which is not an easy thing to do because what do you audit legal against?
0: Yeah, what are the goals? What? Why are you doing it? What are you hoping? I mean, I, this is really interesting, um, Aris, because you, you talked about it looked like that the legal department and the law firm you're at was void of a drive or ambition to achieve operational excellence, which you found elsewhere when you when you went outside of legal. And you went into the audit function. So, so you're going back. You've been tasked with auditing legal. You know it hasn't in the past had this drive for operational excellence. So, so lay it out for me. What is it that you're going to audit? What What do you want to learn? Um, and what are the, what are the goals?
1: Yeah. So since there is not a control framework that I could hold on to, I focused on on transparency.
0: Yep. Transparency. Yep.
1: Transparency in terms of activities, people, cost, risk. And naturally I was asked to not just write the audit program, but a couple of months later I was sitting opposite to the, at that time, general counsel and started the audit with questions like, you know, what are the typical risk that the legal department manages the question he could answer continue to say you know what do we do internally externally question that was already you know getting difficult to answer Yep. i can i can
0: i can imagine you as mr popular or not so (laughs) popular right now Uh, but 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 keep going
1: (laughs) Like the discussion didn't last that long. Right. It was decided that it was the wrong point in time to do the audits. But in turn, I was hired into the legal function with a mandate to establish transparency, and then with a goal to repeat the audit sometime later. Right. So this this journey, this this expedition to audits helped me to get right back into yep. the profession. I, I still loved very much. So I was very, very happy about it. That was in 2007, 2008, I had no clue exactly what I was doing. I was just on a mission to establish transparency. transparency. Uh, yep. At that yep. point in time, it was all about transparency around cost. And trying to understand who the people are that work within the legal group of Novartis. We are a decentrally organized legal team. So the group general counsel didn't have transparency easily because the the GCs of the various divisions reporting only dotted line into him told him what they wanted to share which at that point in time wasn't necessarily full transparency everything yeah i was probably still an alien within the function but i was on a mission i had a goal and it took it took me easily 2 years to put in place a system that would provide us with transparency on external spending we developed together with our uh, human resources department a tool that would help us understand people and their expertise. And finally, uh, we looked into internal costs and we tried to understand our risk profile amongst our most important matters. In in terms of technology, this is e-billing, this is matter management, this is a talent management and expertise management tool that we were putting in place. We were really top-down driven, which was good in terms of getting things done. I had formal power behind me in order to establish all of this. Did it help my popularity? Absolutely (laughs) not. Um, Because the tools that, that we put in place or the way we put those tools in place served the legal leadership team, but not necessarily the function.
0: Right or the individual users themselves? Was there an issue there too, or?
1: Look, nobody, people understood the efficiency part of e-billing, not yep. having to look for invoices, but the transparency that came with it was, was not something that was considered to be overly important, yep. Yep. nor for a long time did we do anything with this additional transparency. But it landed me a a position back in the legal function, and it enabled me to do what I thought were important activities, so I didn't really care too much whether or not what I was doing was considered important or not. It took me, again, a couple of years for the functional leadership to start using the data, the information that that we provided. And it took me nearly 10 years um, in order to be allowed kind of to, to get from Operation Sideshow, which I think is what all of those things are that I did early on. Nothing really touched the legal profession or the, the, the legal activities it was all side activities that that we supported those were important yeah. but only in 2016 2017 i started to really engage with the individuals of the legal function and to to start developing jointly together with them um, tools that would have an impact on how we were practicing legal
0: and and so so maris that that's a that's a journey i I mean you're talking about starting that in 2007 and 8 and then you know some early transparency which you're achieving not necessarily doing a lot with it and then in 2016 starting to really engage if so for those listening out there that might have similar challenges and are thinking to themselves i don't have that much time what are some of the maybe some of the early what are some of the learnings now with the benefit of that experience that you would share with the listeners perhaps what not to do what to do earlier what to what to ignore to try and whether it's speed up the process or whether it just get the early wins or the impactful wins sooner rather than later, what what, what are some of those learnings that you might share?
1: I believe one thing f- for, for operation professionals that, that start now, I would focus very quickly on value, value. of the yep. legal function instead of focusing on cost. If you're focusing on value, you're very quickly will be having the right discussions. Yep. for legal professionals, but also for the people around the legal function, which you know which ultimately either we depending on how you look at at, at providing legal services, that you serve or what I think is more appropriate for the, for the in-house role that you collaborate with. And it's, it's super important to, to note that there isn't a single activity in, in an enterprise that is done without legal having, even if it is a small activity, but, but where legal doesn't have a small contribution to make. This is where it's important to, to focus on those interfaces to be customer centric and with everything that we do have in mind the value proposition of it and think about how that helps for the enterprise to achieve their strategic goals or or priorities.
0: Yeah. So so it's an interesting insight, Maris. So this working out, I suppose, how not just to be talking about cost because that that can be hard or sometimes it can be boring or it can be something that people, for whatever reason, put down, down the chain of priority. But if you talk about how you can deliver value, then then that gets attention. And if you could, you know, value in a customer-centric focus. So you're actually dealing with the problem that the particular user, whether it's the GC, whether it's the head of the legal department, the head of the practice area, whatever it might be, trying to understand how you can deliver value in those early days.
1: If you then need money to achieve certain things, focus on costs then, because you will find there is an opportunity to shave off a couple of percentage from you know the traditional way of working to whatever your interpretation of modern way of working might be but there is an opportunity uh, to reduce your cost base and if you have established a good relationship with your cfo you might be allowed to take the first year Saving and reinvest it in generating additional savings or just improved service levels.
0: Yep, yep. And we love that idea, being able to actually pay for your own transformation initiatives by delivering cost efficiencies and then be able to say, and we'll take the savings there and will deliver all of these other benefits. And typically, and I've seen that before, sometimes with legal departments, getting money set aside for the legal transformation initiatives has been hard. But if the legal department can point to initiatives which have clearly saved costs, they can often take some of those savings to fund their legal transformation initiatives. And it's a fantastic strategy to, um, uh, to get those initiatives going.
1: I haven't focused on savings lately, but with everything we did, savings were, I would call it a collateral benefit of what we were doing. I, I yeah. think if, if you're trying, yep. and we've been trying a lot lately, to simplify legal services, we were so engaged in, in, in just trying to strip down, uh, for instance, uh, the contracting work that we do that, that we were able to shorten cycle times. Shortening cycle times absolutely directly leads to just less people being busy. And that, at the end of the day, has yep. a positive impact on the overall cost a specific
0: Any other initiatives that you'd call out, Maris, which helped to deliver those savings and therefore then fund either fund the transformation budget or put you in a better position to be asking for budget?
1: I, I think that the most significant contribution that that we provided was to work with with our councils and with outside council um to to be more focused on clarifying what a matter is all about up front. Right. we introduced a a process where, where we are creating a a statement of work and in this statement of work, we really try to nail down what's, what's the purpose of the engagement, what is the expected outcome of the engagement, and what is the path that we want to take in order to achieve it. We also try to move away from time-based billing, because we believe if, if you manage to to determine what it is that you need to do up front, it's oftentimes possible to to, to link the reimbursement scheme to the outcome that you're trying to achieve. And since we are doing this, we realize that this is is an interesting challenge for our uh, councils because, again, it's not focused on cost. It's focused on structuring a legal matter the best way possible, that certainly has a very positive impact on on how we are looking at, you know, the cost of of matters where outside councils are engaged.
0: And I think, look, I don't think there's any doubt that the better you can get at defining up front what the requirements are, the expectations are, the goals and the objectives, the better everyone is, including outside counsel, at being able to marshal the resources in the right way and focus on the right outcomes. So it's not a, it'll take however long it takes, uh, time and, um, yeah, time-based um, approach. So that makes perfect sense. Uh, now, Maris, you've, you've been at the forefront, if I can say, legal innovation For some time now, I'd love to get your thoughts on what you think, what are the current challenges facing the legal industry in the context of what we're all seeing, which is a real shift, a digital transformation urgency in all organisations, a technological revolution. Tell me about... The challenges legal are having but the opportunities too that you see not only now but in the future and legal's role I suppose um, in that uh, in that journey of digital transformation
1: so I believe we have short term we we have we will soon face the frustration of companies that the digital transformations don't yield the outcome that they expect. I, I think younger companies probably will have a smaller level of frustrations, but but these disestablished old companies like Novartis is one, we will have to learn that digital transformation isn't a sprint, uh, but it's a marathon, um, yes. maybe even an ultra marathon, yep. um, be, because all of those concepts good but they work of the premise that that there is an organizational information management in place and all of these enterprises have grown rapidly in the in the 80s and 90s and there is just a huge amount of of in of it systems and related with it information structure mismatches that do not allow us to to easily and quickly harvest the benefits um, from from these these digital innovations that we are currently putting in place and i believe this is Equally important for the legal department as it is for enterprises overall because, you know, we're just learning how important and beneficial um, information and data are for, for, for lawyers. Um, We start to rely on it more, but there is always this, this, the fact that everything that we, that we have is, is imperfect or incomplete. So we're falling back on 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 our gut, and right. we will have to do that for for some time. I believe we need to learn instead of going towards the end goal directly. That that we are planning in for some milestones, and we need to be clear that those milestones are, you know, the prize that we get for the time being. And we need to, to get people comfortable to crawl, walk before they can uh, before they can run. I think that's that's the first challenge that I see. The second one is is linked to what I mentioned before and, and that's specific to the legal function, the transformation from counselling to collaborating is something that I believe will will, will keep us busy um, for uh, the next couple of years. This is by, by all means a great opportunity for legal professionals to be linked more closely to purpose and enterprise outcome, but it requires For them to redefine their role as, you know, the counsellor to a project team, to become a full project team member,s with, you know, with all the upsides and downsides, and probably the downsides. Or not sure it's a downside, but it's just the fact that we need. to to start feeling comfortable taking risks and risks in a sense of like all the other team members you know take the beating for when something goes wrong instead of having the opportunity to say well I told them the chances risk. <laughs> for win yeah. are slim, yeah. or are at fifty-seven percent. But but I think this will actually make us legal professionals happier, as I said before, because it will give us more purpose in what it is that we do.
0: So so a transformation from I mean I haven't heard it that way before, Maris, but I really like it. A transformation from counsellor to collaborate. And that collaboration, Maris, that, that extends, let's say, within a project team. But it does does it go beyond that too? Does it go outside of the project? Does it go to the industry more broadly collaborating? But uh, t- tell me a little bit about how you see collaboration by and perhaps between lawyers making an impact on the you know, the transformation that we're all undertaking, well, that everyone's going through in the digital age.
1: Yeah look i i'm really hoping that that collaboration will become the new buzzword it definitely goes beyond work on a project team it it goes as far as you know think about if we start to collaborate amongst companies if yeah. if the pharmaceutical companies start collaborating on how we're, we're creating and defining agreements with patients. If, if we had a standard set of agreements that amongst the pharmaceutical companies, together with patients, together with patients' organizations, were designed in a way that patients can easily understand those agreements, and don't have to 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 read them or, or take a lawyer in order to understand them, but um, that these agreements become just the definition of a specific thing that that we do together in plain language.
0: Maris what? would all those what would all the lawyers in the world do if that vision came true uh, i mean and i love it and it's bold uh, and i'm sure that lots listening right now saying are you you're we, the, the profession think about all of the time and the energy and the effort and this is what you were saying before the The rework that takes place time and time again, all of that would disappear if you could come up or someone could come up or the industry industries could come up with this is the way it's done and it's it, and this is the way everyone does it and and it's in plain language once I, I was going to say English plain language that the ultimate consumer can absolutely understand what a nirvana but Jim, how realistic.
1: Asking you back, what could we achieve if we take the sum of all lawyers to work towards that goal? I don't think this will make for unemployment, but this will make for just a new interpretation of our profession, which is helping society to just operate even better. And, and, and I think that is – isn't that an absolutely beautiful outlook, you know, for all of the young people that, that graduate from law school yeah. who could just have a much bigger impact from the beginning than, than what we had with this counseling interpretation of practicing law?
0: And, and on. On one view, Maris, knowing the impact of technology and projecting out many years ahead, isn't it, it's almost inevitable that technology will end up weeding out all of the inefficiencies, the duplications that exist today, whether it's 10 or 20 years, whatever that time might be, ultimately those efficiencies get weeded out so that the kind of state that you're envisaging, it, it almost feels like to me that's inevitable. It's just a question of time.
1: Hopefully, yes. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I really do hope because it will increase access to law. And and that that should be the, the, the ultimate goal. And if I look at, at the macro issues that we have, be this be, be this the climate change, be this the the refugee movement we we need We need to work for efficiency and simplification and customer centricity in order for us as a society to be able to master um, those those absolutely huge issues that, that we are facing and just observing. The legislative debates, I'm following Germany and Switzerland a little bit on, on climate change. It's so complicated, uh, these frameworks that are currently being designed. And I think this is where we, we should focus on helping or bringing lawyers into those areas and topics. Lawyers with a focus of, of, of simplification so that those, those frameworks actually work.
0: So actually, um, so it reminds me of a couple of things. Well, firstly, um, the, the, your reference to access to justice, that's a nice segue into I want to talk a bit about. I, what, what I see is the greater good, too, that um, you're involved in. I know you're involved in uh, Laws Without Walls, part of the ACC part of the regional leadership for clock two and and looking to redefine and make more available I suppose um, uh, access to law D- tell me a bit about those initiatives and you know and why you're so passionate and perhaps what you're so excited about in in creating creating access
1: so the 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 law without war uh, program which which is Targeting students and young professionals to work on oftentimes an access to law issue that um, that they receive, and they need to apply design principles to develop a a solution that that targets um one of those those problems that the the sponsors to the event uh provide they need to yep. do that oftentimes in a cross-functional team um over the last two years it has been completely virtual and they do yep. not only need to come up with a good legal solution they need to come up with a presentable sexy solution that they have then to pitch in front of very very experienced um, judges, and they're doing this uh, as a as a really fun competition. And for me, volunteering a little bit of time to in return get access to 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 work with the next generation of lawyers and and see how how they look and the big issues that the world is currently facing for for me is just, you know, a source of energy that, that has been very, very important to me because, you know, to be honest, being a change agent for so many years, I do have moments where I'm a little bit tired and, and, then, in the evening, going to a law without wall meeting where where I just can where I can just load my batteries again and and have energy for the remainder of the week.
0: <laughs> yeah, and not only that though, but uh, and I'm sure it's this too. Uh, I suppose recharging your own batteries, but then bringing the next set of change. Agents and uh, nurturing them and bringing them along and, and creating an environment for them to become to be excited and think that they can make believe that they can make an impact yeah. because um, it's that belief and and certainly also the opportunity you, you mentioned about climate change and the complexity of the frameworks being put around them and a concern around that too and how we should be aiming for simplification, that really resonates. And in fact, just the other day, I was listening to another podcast that talked about our natural bias when we go to fix something to add rather than a... uh, So it's a bias against subtraction. And it's often the subtraction that delivers the gain because we have a natural whether it's um, whatever it is we have a natural inclination to add to an existing solution rather than take pieces away and as I said um, I think that kind of it dovetails into what you what you mentioned before about a really complex framework around um, you know the, the, the climate change solutions can we simplify it who better to kind of bring a simplified lens to it to, to, you know, those earlier in their career that haven't been, are burdened, I suppose, um, with the, the kind of complexity that um, those later in their careers m- might have seen. That, I, that, that might sound a little bit complex itself, but I, I think you get my point.
1: Absolutely. I would have used the word brainwashed. I'm- <laughs> <laughs>
0: I I was being very kind. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um,
1: yep. Yes. If, if I, I remember me growing up, you know, the perfect agreement that as a trainee you draft is oh. the one that that thinks of everything, right? Of course. Um, yep. Isn't and that you... what we are being told in law school? Yep.
0: Yep. I've nailed um, this one. I've thought of every possible scenario. I've documented it and I'm proud of this this PDF document that'll end up getting filed away and very rarely looked at again. But that's exactly right. That is how you trained. Tell me, Maris, what have you spent too much time worrying about in the past?
1: I, you know, this is funny. When I started... My, my journey, I tried, or interpreted the role of the operations person as an invisible servant to the function. You know I, I tried to, to magically make everything happen in the background so that nobody really realizes what we are doing, but could benefit um, from, from the cool things, the data that, that we provided. I did that for far too long, and I'm really glad when the clock movement started and provided us operations professional a platform.
0: A a platform. Yeah. A
1: platform to be a proud addition to the legal job family. So, for all of the. The starters in the operations um, field don't hide what it is that you do, don't try to be invisible, be bold, because what you do is equally, if not more important to the transactional legal work that is being done every day.
0: It's the courage, isn't it? Early, and we've heard that theme on the podcast before. Some of the regrets we've heard about is not being more courageous a little bit earlier on, and not being not being more bold, and being a little bit um, worried about, let's say, the internal politics. And uh, but having the time again, uh, not too many people end up saying, "I was too courageous," "I was too bold." I might have been a bit early, and I might have been a little bit pushy, but usually that's how. That's how you get outsized results.
1: Agreed. And I was only recently told by, by a person who's coaching me, she keeps remind, um, reminding me what's the worst thing that can happen. Yeah. And in a corporate career, that's a really good question.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it is. it is. It's a great perspective. I love the question. It's a great perspective to have, actually. Uh, Maris, tell me, what's the hardest thing You've ever done.
1: The, the, I, I think sticking to my idea for 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 improvement and operational excellence yeah. for the first ten years of my career, because I at that point in time I didn't know whether this is going to work out, and you know, being true to myself or giving up and do something else. Yeah. Now that, you know, I was lucky enough that within my professional time, this topic became more mainstream has been a, a, an enormous reward. But, the, the, you know, feeling an alien in, in, your, in your profession for nearly a decade was hard on me.
0: Yeah, and then you realise, in fact, there are a whole lot of other aliens out there. You just needed to find them. Exactly. <laughs> is that right? <laughs> now, Maris, to, to, to round up, I know you've got two little boys. Tell me, what, what, are, what are one or two characteristics that you'd like to see your boys grow up with?
1: What I just said is certainly one of them. Yeah. And and the other thing is, you know, always think for yourself. There are times where when we need to follow orders but that doesn't mean we shouldn't question them. Yep. And and I think this is very important right now in the in the times that we are living in. We need to uh, we need to be very thoughtful about what it is that we do, how we use the resources that that are available to us, and and how do we use the very fortunate situation that we're in in relation to those who might be a little bit less fortunate.
0: Yep, yep. Maris it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. I've had an absolute blast. Thank you so much for joining me.
1: Thank you so much, Jim. It was a great time.
0: Okay, bye-bye for now. Thank you, listeners, for tuning into the show. For more, please subscribe to the show in your favourite podcast player. If you or someone you know would make a great guest on the show, please connect with me, jim the host of the show via email jim at pursuit p-e-r-s-u-i-t dot com we'd love to hear from you